Hello, and welcome to the latest episode of Innovations in Education, eSchool News' podcast on the latest and greatest happenings in K-12 ed tech. I'm Kevin Hogan, Content Director for eSchool News, and I'm glad you found us. This month, we dive into the world of gaming, eSports, and the impact they have on education with our special guest, James O'Hagan. James is a pioneer in the realm of eSports education and an advocate for competitive gaming in schools. He has had a role in starting and growing esports teams in two large urban school districts and is now the vice president of education innovation at League Spot. He actively promotes esports as being a medium to something more for students beyond just the games. His podcast, The Academy of Esports, delves into topics surrounding esports and education and connecting into powerful ideas to increase student agency, motivation, and career pathways. Now, I know there are still some negative perceptions about esports and its effectiveness when it comes to teaching and learning, and I hope this conversation can widen those opinions. Let's dig in. James, thanks so much for joining me today. I really appreciate your time and your insights. Kevin, thank you so much for allowing me to be a guest on your podcast today. Well, you've always been my my go-to guy when it comes to uh, esports, and that's been, uh, I won't date ourselves, but it's been a while. You were doing this before it was cool, right? <laughs> uh, yeah, there's a, there's, a, there's a number of us. Really good people have been doing this before it was cool when we would walk into conferences and there'd be three of us sitting in a room talking about esports, and we'd always get that person who would come in thinking this was going to be a uh, session on sports in Spanish. And it's not. <laughs> no, I'm I'm serious. I did have somebody get up and walk out because they thought they're like, how, how is this not? Why are we not talking about Spanish? And I'm like, why would we talk about Spanish? So, <laughs> right. And I think the last time we spoke was it, we're in the depths of the, the, the pandemic and we were kind of talking about esports and what the work that you were doing at that time was almost a bit of therapy almost for for students. And it, it was it was kind of like a, a some way to kind of keep kids connected and get it together. And that's the phenomenon, as I noticed as a journalist, had, had been happening. It had been accelerating. But then the pandemic was even more. Maybe you could talk a little bit about from, from where you were at that point. I believe you're still with the district and, and what you're doing now and where you see the state of play when it comes to, to esports. Well, the, the great thing is that for those of us who got started before the pandemic, I think for a lot of us put a lot of things in place that allowed us to not just be models for other schools and school districts and organizations that we're trying to get in, but also having things set up so that our kids who in a state of play, you know, we know how important play is. And for a lot of them, they were getting cut off from, you know, traditional sports that this was now a place where they could be not just to play, but also having social connections in my own school district, uh, Racine Unified School District, we have our, our five high schools and it wasn't just kids from one high school having each other to fall on and help and, and pick each other up. It was five high schools working together of, of play and having a network of kids. You know, we talk about our networks like we're adults, but well, kids have their networks as well, too. And and games and video games were the network binding these these kids together from across the city. Um, I saw tremendous support, not just from teachers, but also from students of each other. I saw uh, our public library who realized that uh, access is an issue in our in the community in which I live. I live in Racine, Wisconsin, and it is it is a 
community that has been decimated for a long time, but the impacts of redlining, for example, are still very felt and very real here. The library stepped up and hand, and said, hey, we've got the gaming laptops. We'll check them out to the, to the kids because we have nobody coming in anyway. It shined a lot of good light uh, on things. And I've been very proud of the work that we were able to do, not just myself and our school district, the teachers, the state associations. This was educators really figuring out, especially on the fly uh, in some cases, just how important this was in building structures in place that were responsible, even though they had to rush a little bit. And I've always talked about avoid the rushed implementation. They were quickly coming up to speed. And it was it was a great thing to see. Even uh, a student who's just a graduate now of Milwaukee Public Schools, George Walker, in his sophomore year, as a student, launched an esports program in the first one in Milwaukee Public Schools. And George has been uh, a tremendous uh, inspiration to myself that shows that the power of kids, you know, a lot of kids are kind of put, you know, we're, we talk about this generation kind of being lost and, and yeah. yeah, but seeing people like George, who's now going to the university of Wisconsin, Madison here in the fall to major in business or excuse me, nuclear engineering, sorry. And nuclear <laughs> engineering, big difference. Yeah. Right. Uh, you know, he, he, he built with teachers, he partnered with teachers to build that system uh for mps yeah the the pandemic did a number on all of us but i always try to look for the positives and and gaming scholastic gaming in particular had a lot of positives well it seems like i mean you just mentioned one of the the innovations that come out of catastrophe right which is the the student agency where students kind of stepped up and started kind of owning their own learning and and through esports as well i mean are there other things that when you look at esports and you look at the last three years are there are there surprises are there things that you've seen that the space has taken and adapted when we went to that forced remote migration to where it's kind of enhanced esports well what i've been pleasantly surprised to see um because i'm a terrible competitive gamer i i mean i i am just awful um <laughs> But the definition of esports at the K-12 level and, and the and the people who are the professionals in the in the sense kind of scoff at what e the word esports has come to mean. It's kind of started to become a catch-all. Uh where not just competitive, but now we have instances of collaborative gaming where uh, it, it still has a competitive edge to it with goals and what you want to do, but there's a lot more opportunity for collaboration. There's a lot more opportunity for people to think beyond just being for high school kids. We're looking now at where, where games and video games are important at the elementary and the middle school level. Uh, Minecraft has taken, obviously, you know, before even the pandemic, Minecraft was a huge game, but it has really taken the collaborative side of play to a whole new level. Even games like... Um, when 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 I was heading up our, the virtual program for RUSD, some of our teachers started using Among Us as our playtime. And Among Us, I know some people have issues with the content, right? It's trying to find the murderer on the ship. But what was amazing for me to see was every day we had kids in our virtual program from across age groups coming together with teachers to play in these digital spaces and working through some very specific rules about you know, we're going to talk about persuasive speaking. 
we're going to talk about you know working together, even taking turns because you're not in the same room. So you know, just being able to develop social skills through through games and gameplay across ages was was great for us to see. We always thought of our virtual program as uh, one big, we call it the one big schoolhouse, right? So we had kids who were. Uh, you know, playing together from all ages and brothers and sisters and even parents would sometimes get involved. So it's been, I think the definition of, you know, people talk about esports, and, and, and I think that definition at the scholastic level has been broadened. I think many teachers have started to look beyond the quote unquote educational titles, though, you know, for me, Oregon Trail is always going to have a soft spot in my heart. Uh, whoever, who nobody wants to be the uh, carpenter, everybody wants to be the banker. <laughs> but, uh, but you know, I think now they're looking more critically at where there is value in off-the-shelf games. You know, Stephen Reed has talked about what Red Alert meant for him uh, as an ed- as an educational tool. For me, it was SimCity uh, was an educational tool that I used with an entire class of students. Um, you know, even now today, uh, looking at things like The Legend of Zelda uh, and, and and seeing the uh, mythology and the hero quest and talking about the hero quest and talking about the different aspects. Now the educational component, people are the people are looking at games, video games across genres in whole new lights. And that I think has been a huge positive as well too. Yeah. When you, you think about that, that evolution, and then you look at the traditional constructs of K-12 education, specifically public schools and school districts. Mm-hmm. When you look at some of the issues surrounding school boards in, in the past, when you're when you're talking about curriculum or maybe you're talking about implementing an esports program, lots of innovative technology and applications, but that sometimes meet what is, you know, one of the biggest kind of architectures of trying to get things through and get things going in, in a school district. How have uh, you seen that evolve? Uh, over the past couple of years, whenever um, and and this is a this is this speaks to so many different things that always move a needle. It, it, and I always tell people you can't just walk in and say, "Hey, I want to do video games in schools," because that <laughs> that puts up that puts in the mind of everybody at the table who you have at the table in a different place. Yeah. For some video games are positive. For some, they're a horrible negative. For some, they're they they only know Mortal Kombat, or for some, they only know Candy Crush. What we always need to do, and I think where the conversations become most powerful and sustainable for gaming programs, especially in schools, is always looking at the strategic goals of your own school district. Don't worry so much. Yes, there's state associations, and yes, there's places to play, but. I'll give you an example here in a minute, but always look at the strategic goals of your school and your program and design something specific to what it is that your district or your school is trying to move the needle on. So if it is, for example, in Racine, we try to be a school district of choice of Southeast Wisconsin. That means we, because we live in a state where there's vouchers, we want to get as many students to want to come to Racine Unified School District. If we don't have that as a strategic thought of being a school district of choice. Esports is just video games, but now all of a sudden esports is a recruitment tool. Now all of a sudden esports becomes a 
tool that parents look at and go, yes, I want my kids to be a part of that or kids coming and saying, yes, we want to be a part of that. Um, it, it, your, your esports program cannot exist in a vacuum outside of what your school district is trying to do. Uh, there's a school I'm working with right now on the North side of Milwaukee and I'm volunteering my time. North side of Milwaukee is crushing poverty. Again, redlining, uh, it, it red, Milwaukee is one of the most racially divided cities in the United States. Um, but where we're seeing value in gaming and esports is I can't, I was contacted and, and, and a gentleman up at this school said, uh, James, we'd love to meet with you to talk about how we could start high school esports. And I came in, met with the, the leadership, met with the students. And it's a group of young men, 14, 15 years old, all African-American, 14, 15 year old young men. And I said, look, after meeting with them and talking with them and learning about the school, it's a K-12 school in one of the most impoverished areas of the city. I said, look, we could do an esports program, super easy to do. And I kind of laid out what that would look like for the high school. I said, or let's look at this school as a whole and realize that we are in an area where access is hard to get, where good um, uh, mentorship is hard to come by, especially male black mentorship of, of the youth. I said, to, and I said to these young men in this room, I said, look, you may not know this, but those third and fourth graders, first, second, third, and fourth graders, they're going to look at you as gods. They're going to look at you, look up, you walk in that room, they're going to want to impress you. They are going to want to, they're going to love you. I said, imagine if you all, the 11 of you here, instead of focusing all your efforts on a high school esports team, we look at what we can do to develop video game uh, tournaments and play experiences for kids in the elementary level in your own school building. Some of them are your brothers and sisters. All of a sudden now, the conversation completely shifted. All of a sudden now, their board at this school on the north side of Milwaukee said, we will absolutely fund a lot more based off of, of that kind of vision. Because again, it matches the vision of what the school is trying to do. And, and I told these young men, too, I said, look, you're not building an esports program for yourselves today. Don't live in that vacuum. I said, unfortunately, the fruits of the labor of what you're doing today are going to be seen after you're out of this school. If we do it properly, if we think through it strategically. And now it became a totally different conversation. So, yeah, that's that's, that's interesting. And it, it kind of answers uh, what my next question was. You made the mention of kind of like the popular perception of video games. And you have folks when you're talking about um, the, the perception of Mortal Kombat versus some of the other competitive uh, things and also the Minecraft that, that you mentioned. Um, with that sort of strategy that you just decided, you, you're kind of directing students into a way of using this stuff. I mean, it's just like screen time, right? I mean, it's like kids well, on the screen for nine hours. That's terrible unless they are creating, you know, great things, right? Well, it, it, it comes back to, because again, when people talk about screen time, um, there's a couple of things that they like to throw around haphazardly without really thinking through what it means. They'll call it addiction. Um, and addiction has a very clinical, and my good friend, Dr. Rachel Cohort does a much better job of explaining this than I do, but there's a very clinical definition around addiction where basically it's creating negative impacts in your life, right? Intrinsic motivation, however, and again, let's go back to the, the, the example I just gave. I didn't tell them we are going to do this. 
I presented the information with regards to um, the 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 larger um, vision, and it became an intrinsic motivation for them to want to develop a league within their school. I just gave them the idea, and I said, "Here, I laid out the paths." They chose the path, but again, all of it was still building with with the with the support in mind of where what we can fund and what could what could we again present to the board to to get backing. Um, so when I talk about intrinsic motivation, I'm talking about self-determination theory. And if you're an educator who, um, who really wants to get into this, I really highly recommend looking into what self-determination theory gets around, because the way that you get kids to want to do things is giving them a sense of autonomy, which is a key, key aspect of, of self-determination theory. We want to give it a sense of, of relatedness, meaning building of community, not just doing things in a silo. And we want them to feel competent. And guess what? Video games is something where a lot of kids, if since the, it basically cross socioeconomics were almost at 100% ubiquitous play in digital spaces uh, across all socioeconomics and, and racial demographics in this country, at least. Those three things together create huge intrinsic motivational strength and are the things that are gonna get kids to walk in the door every day. It's going to get kids to buy into other messages. Like when I talk about health and wellness in esports, you don't just tell kids, hey, we're gonna start lifting weights because they don't see the connection. But if you present it as lifting weights helps to develop the prefrontal cortex of your brain, which helps with problem solving, all of a sudden now, the conversation becomes very different. I don't want you to bench 400 pounds, but I want you to go through and learn and know that what you are doing as you work out in this in this weight room is going to introduce you to being a better gamer. You know, then we open up conversations about sleep. We open up conversations about drinking water. These are This is the power of intrinsic motivation. And even like I said, going back to talking about The Legend of Zelda, and the hero quest all of a sudden now these video games take on a whole new context and meaning to a lot of these kids when they realize that this the legend of zelda is basically gilgamesh it is it is the it is luke skywalker it is you know the the whole stories repeated over and over just in a different genre and now they start to see the connections between you know shakespeare and video games i mean th there's there's a lot of that there uh, yeah. And we repeat the same stories, just the characters and the places change. That's fantastic. And I, I'm, I'm sure it's easier to get the kids enthused with that than, say, some of those school board members, right? It's just They need to put on their goggles or their AR goggles for a, a bit and try it themselves, and maybe they'll, they'll, they'll start to get it. it it's never uh, – if you can walk in and get the conversation done one time, uh, God bless you, but yeah. – these things, especially when we're talking about sustainability, especially in the face of falling school revenue, right, where we are coming up on a time now when a lot of the federal government money, the ARPA money is running out and schools are going to have to start making very strategic choices about where their dollars and cents are being spent, especially when we're talking in urban and rural school districts where, again, some of these issues, you know, were exacerbated by the pandemic that, you know, the federal dollars helped uh, to, to patch for a while. Um, you have to be able to show where esports and gaming is going to, is bringing you positives. 
Yeah. And if it was just about playing the video games and you don't have anything else to measure as a success right now, again, not not tied to strategic uh, district initiatives or your strategic values, I'm sorry, but your time's running out and you better start <laughs> revamping and rethinking your esports program. Yeah, that's that's good stuff. Well, James, as always, uh, I know the toughest part of my job talking esports with you is to end the conversation, uh, but I don't don't see this as an end. I hope we can kind of continue it. Uh, hope to see you in person at, at ISTE next week and um, good luck going forward. If I may, if yeah. people are more interested to hear about esports and education. Uh, Absolutely. I, I am on year six of the Academy of Esports podcast. So go ahead and you can grab it wherever. I have a great episode I just did with Ryan Douglas from Deepwell, where we're talking about mental health and video games and actual FDA um, certified gaming that can help with that are being developed right now. It is a really fascinating conversation. Excellent. It's, I'm putting it in my queue right now. Fantastic. Thanks again. And that's all there is for this month's episode of eSchool News' Innovations in Education. Be sure to subscribe for more episodes on your favorite podcast platform and go to eschoolnews.com for plenty of more content.